I am grateful just to be able to lead us in, uh, in considering this word this morning. Um, I did fail to uh, notify Keith that I would not be preaching from the Transfiguration passage. We'll be looking at a, at a Palm Sunday passage from Matthew 21 um, is where we'll be today, looking at the, the triumphal entry as it's known. So you can make your way to Matthew 21, uh, this scene taking place just a few days before Easter, before Christ's resurrection, his death and resurrection. So I think it's imp- appropriate for just us to, to think for a few moments on this word. The importance of this scene that we are about to read in Matthew 21, I think is, is highlighted by the fact that it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's there in each one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so, um, really, that's an unusual thing for an event to be recorded in all four Gospels. And I think Christ is just highlighting the importance of this event. And I hope we'll be able to, to see that as we read through and as we, we meditate on this. I was reading through Matthew 21 and, and in Mark 11, where we see the account, and, and Luke 19, and then John 12. Each of these Gospels contributing something unique to this day, to this event that we're going to read. Tremendously important occurrence in history and, and just rich implications about the person of Jesus Christ who we gather to worship this morning. And so let's just carefully and prayerfully think and ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal this truth to us as we read through it. Matthew 21 Look at verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let me direct your attention to three brief observations about the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We won't expand on them in great detail, but, but perhaps this will guide our thinking this week as we, as we give uh, special attention to Christ in our thoughts this week. First of all, we see in this account that that the entry into Jerusalem, known as the the triumphal entry, it was very deliberate. 
Jesus is shown in all the accounts to be extremely intentional with the details found accompanying this scene. He takes a very active role in bringing about his arrival in the exact way that he had planned to arrive. You know, I've typically had this scene in my mind as more of a, a routine occasion where Jesus and his disciples are, are making their way to Jerusalem like every other Jew would that could here with Passover, the Passover festival. And along the way, I, I see them just attracting a greater and greater crowd. It's growing, and even to the point where as they're, as they're entering Jerusalem, we hear shouts of praise. Really not a lot of coordination that took place. Not, it just happened this way. As I read this week, there is much more going on with this scene than first meets the eye. The Gospel writers make clear that Jesus was very calculated with this event. We see him actively orchestrating details in order to reveal further and give greater clarity as to just who he was. Even just in verse 1, for example, we see him there sending his disciples off. We see him there really giving the disciples a seemingly odd but specific request. Sends them on a very specific errand. You see that there in verse 2. He tells his disciples, go, go into this village opposite of you where you will find a donkey tied with a colt and you're to bring them to me. Really throughout the first half of this passage, Jesus arranges the activity with specific detail. Even down to what the disciples were to say if they were asked what they were doing. Jesus wanted to make sure that they had an answer. He's carefully preparing for his entry. And most significantly, as it relates to how he will travel. Why? No other time in the Gospels do we see Jesus as an adult using an animal to travel. We can think back to to when he was in in Mary before he was born traveling on a donkey, but no time in his adult life do we see him traveling on an animal. He and his disciples walked everywhere they went unless they were in a boat. Walking was their main mode of transportation, and yet in this scene... After traveling nearly 100 miles on foot, they left Caesarea Philippi, traveling almost 100 miles. They're they're 98% of the way to their destination. And Jesus arranges for a donkey to come and carry him. Obviously, this was not because he was tired or or that he couldn't finish the rest of the way on foot into Jerusalem. No, there was something more significant going on here. Jesus was not planning to just slip into Jerusalem quietly. He was making a statement. To be seated upon a donkey while the majority of the travelers finished the journey on foot would noticeably draw attention to him. This was a a deliberate gesture by Jesus. No longer, we see right in this scene and right before it, no longer was he concerned with keeping his identity quiet 
as he had ordered repeatedly to his disciples and those whom he'd healed in the Gospels. No, his time has now come. And Jesus is ready to face those who would strictly oppose him. We see this turned where now Jesus has set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem and he is ready to face death head on. And so his arrival is very purposeful and deliberate. I think it's summed up in verse 6 where where Matthew writes, the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. He was the director of a scene filled with with much meaning that we'll see. This was a scene arranged very carefully to make a clear statement. In fact, a self-disclosure for those who would have eyes to see it. This leads to observation number two. The meaning or the message of this entry was predicted. In verses 4 and 5, you notice that Matthew breaks away from the story, breaks away from the, from the scene with this parenthetical comment. And this comment explains why Jesus went to such lengths to orchestrate his arrival into Jerusalem. Why did he do this? Why was he so concerned? Verse 4, this took place. That is, the the details that were just deliberately described for his entry. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes a line from Isaiah 62. Then he quotes a a longer line from Zechariah 9.9. Matthew is saying these odd and detailed instructions about a a donkey and and a colt, these details... Matthew is screaming, are the fulfillment of a messianic promise made hundreds of years before this day. Before any of them had even conceived of this day, Zechariah was writing about what was to take place right then. Coming to pass right in their midst. Listen to Zechariah 9 and verse 9, which is what he's quoting. The prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, or Jerusalem. Rejoice greatly. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Look, or behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. He's a royal savior. And he says, this royal savior, this one, is humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Matthew links to this text and says, this is why the detail. This is happening right now. The long-awaited Savior King, he announces, this one is here in your midst. And Jesus wants there to be no doubt about this that he is the promised king. And so in verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt and they they put their cloaks, it says, and Jesus sat on the donkey. The triumphal entry that we're considering was to announce Jesus. This one you're about to look upon is the promised king who alone brings 
salvation. That was the message. And it was predicted hundreds of years before. This king is like no other. Well, the message is very clear that Jesus is a king. Missing is the attendant pomp and circumstance that one might expect of a, of a grand entrance for royalty. If you're familiar with the book, The Count of Monte Crisco, have you seen the, the movie? This is no Edmund Dantes in his great grand entrance with, with hot air balloons and, and acrobats and fireworks. No. Rather, Jesus is said and described as humble. It's the same word that Matthew uses in, in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes. He, he is meek and gentle. This king comes riding on a donkey. It wasn't even his. He comes riding on a, on a borrowed donkey. This one from Nazareth out in the sticks borrows a donkey. Similar to the way that he would be buried in a, in a borrowed tomb. There was no chariot here. There was no decorated steed to ride upon. Honestly, when you, when you think about it, when you stop and consider this, there's really not much triumphal about this entrance at all from human standards. That doesn't seem to concern this king. He's the one who did not count equality with God something to be grasped. And ponder this. Rather, he who had made everything and everything had been made for him, he made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant, he humbled himself by by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. That is our king. This is the one in whose name we are gathered right now. He's our savior king. Described as humble and lowly in heart. Described as one who who a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Until in his name, the Gentiles' hope. This is Jesus. He invites us even this morning to bring our burdens to him. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. There was a predicted message and it was to shout about this king, the Savior King. So the entry described in this passage and in the Gospels was was very deliberate. Its meaning had been predicted. And finally, we just want to notice that the reception of this king was varied. It was very mixed. And this is always the case in responding to Jesus. Even though the entire city, we read in verse 10, was, was stirred, even to the point of inquiring, who is this Jesus? And and we even see enthusiastic shouts of Hosanna by the crowd. The reception was very mixed. Even quoting scripture 
from Psalm 118. Hosanna in the highest. As you put the different gospel accounts together of this scene, we see that that even though it appears that, that Christ was being honored, and without a doubt that was the case for some, cloaks are being laid down to honor this king and, and, and branches are being cut to, to lay down like a red carpet for him. But we also find out and we know that many were merely longing for a political deliverer. They wanted to see finally a strong ruler take the throne who would free them from the, the tyranny of Rome and really just give them an easier life. It's not the reception that this king calls for. There's no worship there. For many, and perhaps most, Jesus was merely a means to an end, not a king to adore. You know this morning that that this Jesus is worthy of our worship. For us, even now, may, may Jesus not merely be our ticket to heaven. Void of our love and adoration. May he be the king to bow before and to honor and to adore. For other responses, John uh, points out in, in 12.18 that others were merely there to see if Jesus would, would do another trick. They had just seen six or eight weeks before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and they were to see what else he had. John tells us that. Just hanging around just to see what Jesus might do. And so we come to find out as we, as we read that many in these crowds who were shouting Hosanna to the Son of David, saying and singing the right words, offering enthusiastic praise to this Messiah, even scriptural praise from Psalm 118, these would be the same, part of this group would be the same group calling for his crucifixion even that same week. They preferred a a conquering king, a king of, of earthly valor and glory, a king for their own glory. To realize that, that Jesus did not come to advance their earthly desires would reveal a a very telling parable of the human condition. A telling parable of our condition. One of greed and and selfish ambition, even enslavement to our own sin and to ourselves. One of enmity with God. That's how we are described. So just like today, even even here in this room, the reception of Jesus will be varied. The question that was asked by the crowd in verse 10 is a good question for us to ask ourselves. Who, Who really is this? Who is he to you? I know it would be hard to to sufficiently answer that question right now as we sit here. But I encourage you, that, that question is worth considering this week. Who is Jesus 
in your life. Perhaps you consider that thought for the very first time this morning. I challenge you to think about the Savior King whom we need. To truly honor this Creator King in the way that He alone deserves. That is, submitting humbly to His authority requires that we see and feel our desperate need for Him. Do you you see that? You sense that, that we, we need this king. The creator who took on flesh. The creator who was wounded for our transgressions. Who was crushed for our iniquity. The greatest need then was, was not for a military conqueror. It was for a suffering servant. And this is our need today. And this is who we find Jesus to be. The righteous king. The righteous king who brings salvation to all who bow the knee to him by faith. Let's consider him this week. Let's consider this king and give him the praise that he alone deserves. I just want to take a few moments as we do just to to quietly meditate on this one, the one to whom we owe all praise for his mercy. Let's take a couple minutes.